Welcome to a second bonus episode of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, we're on hiatus, but uh, we culled through the, uh, our past interviews. Uh, and in light of the fact that we're about to do a new interview uh, with Bruce Schneier about his new book, uh, Click Here to Kill Everybody, uh, I thought it would be fun to go back and recirculate his interview with me about his prior book, Data and Goliath on Big Data Surveillance and the like. Uh, um, it's a uh, contentious uh, interview, and we more or less start in the middle of things because he had also been commenting on the news roundup, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a, uh, 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 it's a great exchange, and um, if you learn things from uh, listening to people uh, contend and disagree, then this is a great le learning experience. So I want to, I, 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 I read it. Uh, my, uh, uh, my notes are full of, uh, you can't possibly believe this Bruce's comments. Uh, so let me walk through it, let me, uh, uh, through parts of it. Uh, the solutions, we go, I'll go straight to the solutions, even though it's at the back of the book, because I think those are, uh, uh, particularly hard to credit. You, you, at, at various times, you say, well, you could hire somebody to walk behind your car so that nobody can read the license plate. You could wear a mask in public. You could paint your face to fool the cameras. You can use a friend's card at Safeway so that people can, so Safeway can't tell who's buying what. You can dress in drag. You can search for random names on Facebook in order to confuse Facebook's algorithms. You can spray paint uh, the cameras that are uh, uh, doing surveillance on the street, or you can cut speed cameras wires. And I know you don't endorse all of those, but, you know, Right. I mean, I mean most none of those are, are, are suggestions on how ridiculous it would be to evade some of this stuff. So I that although well, the, the walking behind your car is something I got from Iran that people would do that in Tehran some years ago to avoid some of the police cameras. That was an actual thing. Yeah, I suppose. Enough. Well, in, in in a large enough demonstration, I guess so you can imagine that. Uh, but yeah, I, that that was my sense is that uh, it, those. Uh, those tools are hopeless. They, they, they're either silly or illegal uh, and, and immoral or... Um, or ineffective. Uh, or ineffective. Some of those tools yeah. are ineffective. I assure you, searching fake things on Google isn't going to do much to... Uh to reduce what they know about you. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and yet you, I think you said you searched for random names on Facebook. You know, I... Uh, that was more aspirational. I'm actually <laughs> not on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Which makes me a freak, but highly productive. Yes, no, that's I, that's absolutely right. Uh, I, it's amazing how many people say they're only on Facebook for their friends. If, if everybody who said that wasn't on Facebook, uh, I don't think half of their friends would be on Facebook. But uh, uh, but, but, the, but this is the but this is the power of the network effect. Yes, right? every person that gets on Facebook is one more person closer to you getting on it. Yes, and there's a point where as much as you dislike the tool whether it's a fax machine or Facebook or email or anything, the more people that are on it, you're, you're forced by society, really, to use it. And saying don't be on Facebook, don't have an email address, don't have a cell phone or a credit card if you want to protect your privacy, those, those make no sense. It's nonsensical advice. Yeah, it's, it, I think that's... that. So then 
let me ask this. I, my sense is that you have a sort of you know, fundamental ambivalence about big data. You, you say it's powerful. It's going to produce all these startling inferences that if, if we could uh, put everybody's health data in one place, uh, it would uh, transform healthcare uh, in, for the world. Uh, and you yourself sort of say, uh, look, I, I used to put my email into uh, folders so I could find it, and now I just leave it in one big lump and, and, and use the power of search to pull it out. And, and I am ambivalent. This is hard. You know, we're in the early years of big data. We're in the years of promise where there's so much it's going to do. It's going to change the world, all, all the great things, save everything. You'll figure out what to do with it later. Cost of saving is so cheap. And my guess is in the next decade, you know, we'll see backlash is the wrong word, but we'll see a softening of all those promises. Well, we didn't mean it this way, but that way. I think something like health records, the, the benefits to humanity would be enormous. And even something as simple as Google Maps, hey, the fact that every car is under surveillance when they use Google Maps helps me get real-time traffic information and get home faster. Right. You know, that's an enormous benefit. And I think we have to, we were struggling with this back and forth. This group benefit to data, the benefits of big data versus the risks of big data. And I think this is an issue we'll be talking about in 50 or 100 years. This is not an easy one. So what I'm puzzled by is you, 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 you see all the value, you see it for yourself, you see it for a variety of things, and then you turn around and say, but when, when governments are trying to find terrorists who could kill us, it's not supposed to use these tools. It, it needs to be a little Amish village off by itself uh, using tools from the mid-20th century. Uh, why shouldn't uh, uh, government be able to get the benefits of being able to use this information in in bulk to store it and analyze it uh, just the way you uh, just say uh, all my emails are in there and I'll do the searches later. Uh, it's an interesting question, and the answer is is in effectiveness. I mean, we know that these big data tools aren't effective in this way. We know it from um, the NSA's reports. We know from a, a lot of a lot of examples that this is not an effective way to do it. I mean, in, in all of these situations, we're balancing the benefits of the data to the group with the risks of the data individually. Right. So, in in the medical care example, the benefits of putting all of our healthcare in one big database with the risks of, oh my God, all of our medical data is in one big database and aren't useful. In in this this NSA example. The benefits of them using big data to search for terrorists with the risks of them using that. And so my belief is that there's not one answer here, that every single one of these is individual to be a balancing test. So that we're going to have to look at costs and benefits for each one. There's not going to be a lot of generalities. What we do are going to change. We love having Google Maps, but, but we don't want you to save it. Because knowing where we are at all times is kind of freaky to us, so we want you to use it and throw it away. But you can imagine that. You can imagine um, medical stuff where we say, you know, we want you to have it, but only have one out of a thousand people and anonymize it. And I'm, I'm making this up. Yeah, and, and so of course we don't know what will work or what will work. What work, right? We, what we, will work and, and what won't. Right? You know, so for, for right now, for me, for terrorism, for the NSA, Bulk collection doesn't work, isn't worth the risks, 
I mean, it's really great for social control. If you're in a government of China, you want to do bulk collection. It's it's works fantastic for finding dissidents, for for finding dissenters, for stifling free speech. It's great for all that stuff. Now that's not an application I kind of want to support. Yeah, but I you know I, and, I so let me let me let me push you on this. Uh, uh, you said. Um, you have to look at the value against the risks. But if, if that's the case, you have to evaluate the NSA program based on the actual bad things that happen. Uh, and the only bad things, even conceivably bad things, is that 500 people got referred to the FBI on a, a, an annual basis for the FBI to look into whether there was some reason to be concerned about the fact that they were communicating uh, uh, either directly or indirectly with a, a, a known terrorist number in the Middle East. Uh, uh, you know, having the FBI have that ability to go check people out uh, uh, doesn't strike me as um, uh, uh, the imminent uh, arrival of Chinese government here or as a particularly serious harm even for the people who get investigated. I mean, I, I agree. We certainly want the FBI to investigate people. That's why we have an FBI. And, and we certainly give them a lot of leeway to invade our privacy. I mean, that's, that's, we think that's a benefit. We put controls in, warrant processes, other due processes to ensure that they don't abuse that, and we can argue whether they're effective or not. But the goal here is, is to balance. Why would you say, I want to do an experiment without knowing exactly how it's going to turn out, uh, uh, of cutting off our principal intelligence gathering capability against terrorists and just saying, well, we've got some new rules for you. You're, you, you can only do targeted uh, uh, collection and you have to get rid of the data immediately. But this is the hyperbole. This is not the principal tool for gathering information about terrorists. The principal tool is targeted surveillance. This is not the principal tool for investigating terrorists. This is not the principal tool for stopping terrorist plots. This is a tool that has marginal utility, which we see from all the reports, I'm not sure where you get your 500. I mean, I remember the 10,000 tips that was sent to the FBI as article, God, almost maybe a decade ago now. It's maybe eight years. Yeah. All of which were false alarms. I mean, there's, there's a lot more abuses than, than 500. But leave that aside. I mean, the, the, the government has released Sorry. the number of searches that the FBI, uh, uh, referrals the FBI got. Last year it was 167. Uh, prior to that it was around three to 500. Uh, on an annual basis. Search for, search for a 10,000 number. There was an article many years ago in the New York Times. The yeah. NSA gave the FBI 10,000 tips. They were all false alarms. And they were, at that point, they were running this program against, uh, internet communications as well. So I, I won't, I won't say it's impossible. But they, 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 they terminated that program without, uh, any public pressure at all. Because it wasn't working in. <laughs> because yeah. it didn't produce well, right. information. What I think works, and here I am as, as speaking as a taxpayer, what I want to spend my money on is targeted surveillance following the leads, the things that work in the movies. Where do you get your leads? The, the, the whole point, in, in, in my view, this is where your book really misses the point. Uh, you act as though once something is in the system and uh, a big data analysis triggers a, a reason for concern, that the guy's going to Guantanamo. Uh, all that is is a lead that leads to an investigation. Right. And the question is, you know, what, what do we as society want the limits to be on when someone can be investigated? The, I mean, these are, are questions we have to answer. You know, my feeling is, because these broad surveillance tools 
are not effective. They're not cost effective. They're costly in other ways that we shouldn't do them. I mean, we're having the same conversation about a medical database. You know, I'm probably going to go the other way because the benefits are so much greater. So you're, 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 you're relying entirely on the idea that this, this doesn't work. And yet, I, you know, I read this as basically saying NSA should never do this, even if they have an opportunity, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, and this is, this is not unexpected. Uh, uh, most of their terrorism work is done overseas. It's not these, uh, uh, U.S. programs. And if they can, store 24 hours worth of communications from a particular uh, uh, location and then search them and follow leads that develop as a result of the first search to a second or a third set of uh, communications using better selectors, uh, they're going to get better leads. Uh, but that's, according to you, that's uh, that's mass collection and, and NSA shouldn't do it. So, I mean, there's a lot of devil in the details there. I'm, I'm, I'm not one to say never. I tend not to like using never because there there are always going to be exceptions to everything. I mean, this gets back to the first things we talked about. These are not technical problems. These are legal problems. These are policy problems. And and we have to figure out what the balance is. In in general, I mean, searching on a specific thing makes sense to me. It's the going into the general database of everybody where I having problems. So I, uh, I'll give you an example from my experience in government. We uh, at DHS required that every single person traveling to the U.S. Uh, uh, on a plane uh, have their travel reservation data provided to the government. Uh, and what the government did with that is it gave us uh, sometimes a week, sometimes uh, a day uh, to look at arriving passengers and decide which of them it was worth spending an hour interviewing, and which we were just going to say, welcome to the United States, uh, and stamp their passport. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, every, every one of those travelers is arguably innocent. Uh, most of them certainly are. Uh, and, uh, uh, and yet we were collecting all of that information and using it to, to allocate scarce investigative resources to the most risky travelers based on travel experience, past information in databases of other sorts and the like. Uh, uh, you're, there's several statements in your book that say, well, you, you, you never get anything from gathering information about innocent people, but that's exactly what that program does. So are you saying that it shouldn't be done? It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about the program, so so rather than, than say something quickly, but let's, let's talk about it. It feels like it's, it's very similar to a visa program. Yes. We want to know who's coming into our country beforehand, so before you show up, you got to fill out a bunch of paperwork, and, and we're going to decide before you get there whether you can come in or not. And lots of countries have visa programs; they they feel like a good idea. So the you know question is, how does this differ from that, and and what does one do that the other doesn't? I, I don't fully understand it, but you know, in general, I'm okay with visa requirements. They, they that that makes sense to me. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, uh, and this is, uh, you know, we can't ignore this. Uh, uh, we also were gathering information about Americans returning to the United States, which is hardly, you know, nobody needs a visa to come home. Uh, uh, but there's certainly. And, and, and that seems bad. I mean, that seems like investigating people without cause. Yeah. In fact, it was. Right. The question is, do, do, of law enforcement solely efficiency or do we have other values? 
And if we have other values, we have to work them. Yeah, but I think you're making up these other values by scaring people that this data is going to be misused. The the value of the data is to decide whether somebody is going to spend time being interviewed. But so. not, not the value of the data, the values of our society. But you're, you're, we, no, again, you're making that up too. You're, you're the, you've made up this value that the government shouldn't have data that everybody else has, that the that the airline reservation no, no, uh, folks have. The value the value of society are much greater, and you might be right that that society has lost all the values, all those values, or they're 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 going to be tossed. I mean, certainly, in the months after 9/11, things that we had as values went away very quickly. It's a good idea it doesn't mean it's a good thing. But you may be right that these values will disappear. I hope not. I mean, I, I don't want to say that we're done. And then now, and now the only value is going to be efficiency or, uh, oh, I don't know, safety. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm not saying that either. Things like, I mean, when I was a kid, there was a saying you, I remember hearing, and it was like regular, that it's better for a hundred guilty people to go free than one innocent to be imprisoned. Like that was a normal statement, which when I say, Feels almost radical, and that's sad. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, there, there, there is at some point at which you would say uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's a, a trade-off we're willing to make, uh, and in other circumstances not. But it seems to me that uh, just saying how, letting the government have this data is a violation of our uh, uh, um, values is wrong. Uh, uh, the, the the government is not. The government's holding the data or using, looking at the data without causing harm to you is not a betrayal of the uh, values that uh, make America great. All right, let me ask one last like question. about this conversation, and, and what we should really, I think, thank Snowden for, is the fact that we're having this conversation, that when these things are done in secret, we don't have these conversations. I want to see conversations about values. There's nothing I like more than real theoretical conversations about society's values respect to security and privacy, what the trade-offs should be, how we should make them. This feels like a really healthy thing for our society. And the fact that you and I disagree is great, because if we didn't, it would be boring. That's true. And this is how we figure it out. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that uh, you can have those sorts of debates about every sensitive uh, classified intelligence program the uh, the country wants to run, because no, then, you, then have you have the debate, but level. no. Right, you, right, you have that you have an abstract level. And we can't and this is the this is going to be the question the NSA is going to have to get used to that they're living in a world with less secrecy that they're going to have to figure out how to operate with greater transparency. I think it'll be better for them in the long run, and I think it's better for the country. You know, even if the the answer doesn't go the way I like, having the debate is is really important. I, I think we uh, completely agree on that. Let me ask you one last question, and then we'll uh, uh, wrap up. Uh, the place where I thought. Um, your book was already falling out of date uh, was when you started talking about cyber conflict, saying we can't verify identities in cyberspace, that cyber attacks are hard to trace, that cyber attacks are disruptive but not damaging. And I think in the last year, we've seen lots more effective attribution and much more damaging attacks uh, on U.S. institutions, including the GitHub attack. So do you think you need to revise those judgments, or do you think you're still right about uh, the difficulty of attribution? And I tell you, when you write a book, uh, you spend a year writing it, then you spend six months we're hoping that nothing changes. <laughs> Fair enough. <And laughs> I think you're right that that we learned a lot more about attribution. The Sony case 
is an interesting example. GitHub attribution does seem easier. It's hard to tell though how we're doing this attribution. It doesn't happen fast, which I think makes it difficult. I've read a lot of stuff about the Sony attack, both when I thought the government was wrong that it was North Korea and then when I thought they were right that it was North Korea. And yeah, the moral is that attribution is hard. And there's different attribution. There's, I know you did it. There's, I know you did it, and I can convince you you did it. And I know you did it, I can convince the world that I know you did it. Yeah. And in the Sony case, we were really good at knowing who did it. We were probably good at knowing knowing they did it and saying, look, we know you did it, here's the evidence. But we were terrible at convincing the world. And if we expect to have policy decisions based on secret forensic evidence, that's going to be hard going forward. I'm I'm not sure how to solve this. Attribution is easier. It's, it's gotten easier in the past year. Hasn't gotten quicker. I needed to get quicker. I thought it was pretty quick. Right, because whose job is it to defend Sony depends on attribution. And if it takes three weeks, we have a problem. Yeah, maybe 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 Sony should have broken into North Korea's computers to figure out uh, who was attacking them and gather the evidence. Because that would have ended really well. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, Bruce, this was terrific. We could go on for another hour and a half, uh, and I would be a game for it, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I don't think our listeners would be. Uh, so thank you so much. This is great. It's, it, it, it's so nice to talk to somebody who's got the self-confidence just to mix it up with us. Uh, we've had a great time. Thank you for tuning into this special bonus edition of the Cyber Law Podcast. We'll be back in September with our regular episodes and exciting guests. Uh, the first episode will be a, another blockchain uh, uh, takeover because I'll actually be uh, out of the country when we're supposed to be restarting the episodes. Uh, and then we'll jump into some uh, really uh, exciting guests. Uh, uh, if you've got feedback or suggestions, Send those to Cyberlaw Podcast at Steptoe and Johnson, uh, and follow us on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Uh, when I hope that I can again begin circulating stories that I think are worth uh, talking about uh, in the news roundup, and you can comment on whether you want to hear about them. Meanwhile, I hope you'll uh, uh, give us a review. Take the hiatus if you've decided from the hiatus that you really miss us. Uh, well, go on iTunes. Go on on uh, Stitcher, go on Google Play and leave us a review because that's how people find us. Please join us again soon as we once again provide uh, insights into uh, law, government, and policy. 